0: Hi everyone, welcome to a new edition of the 19th Hole Golf Show. I'm Ryan Balgie and it's great to be on with you again. <laughs> not to have you with me, but to be on with you again. It's been a while since we've done this, and I, I feel the need to apologize for not having done this in a while. Uh, the Masters, obviously, is a pretty crazy week for Golf News Net, and last week being Easter, I traveled early in the week, and when I do that kind of thing, I just—I try to tune out uh, all the golf stuff and all the work stuff and, and just try to be present with my family and it just didn't lead to a podcast after the Masters. And so I wanted to do one. I wanted to react to the Masters. I wanted to react to what happened more than what I've done on GNN, more than what I've done in other radio appearances, because there's not necessarily a guarantee you've heard or read any of those. But just to talk for a little while about some of the implications of the Masters, of Tiger winning, of uh, Dustin Johnson and uh, Xander Shoffley, and of Brooks Kepka tying for second, of Francesco Molinari, falling apart toward the, the most evidently toward the end, but I think we, we knew it for more of the round than maybe we wanted to let on. Uh, at least I, I kind of figured it was pretty apparent by the fourth or fifth hole. And just trying to kind of spin it forward. Where do we go from here? Because we do have a major. We have another major in a few weeks. It is major, uh, that's where we're going to go with, for the PGA Championship and it's just a few weeks away. I mean, we, we end April this week, basically. I mean, my birthday is the 30th, so next Tuesday I turn 36. That ends April, and then basically two and a half weeks later, we are just smack dab in the middle of a major championship on Long Island at Bethpage State Park. So we've got a lot to kind of chew through pretty quickly before we get to all of a sudden another chance for a major uh, champion to be crowned or a, a, someone to add to their tally. I'm looking at Tiger. I'm looking at Brooks. But... I think we should start with Tiger, just being who he is. I mean, I, I and what he accomplished and what all of that kind of means. Let's let's start there. I, I have to tell you that I never figured Tiger was going to win another major championship. I mean, it's kind of hard to, and that's after the the fusion. I mean, you're like, okay, he's got a fused pack. What now? What? And you figure, okay, well, if it didn't go well then he's just going to go and design golf courses for a while, and maybe he'll try a couple of times to be a non-ceremonial golfer, and he'll show up at the Masters, and he'll play out his U.S. Open exemption, and he'll play in the Open here and there, and the PGA here and there, and maybe every once in a while we'll get a little thrill going into the weekend, but probably never going to experience what we experienced, at least what I experienced from the time I was 13 years old, until um, basically my 30s two decades' worth of incredible golf. And I I, I guess that's the shock. First of all, they got to this point, that the fusion worked. I mean, if you listen to people who do this for a living, if you listen to people who perform spinal fusions, they say that this this is the best of 50-50 chance that he could even play recreational golf again, much less play at this kind of level and have that kind of swing speed and play that kind of golf, that kind of championship golf. Well, over four days, um, it, it's a miracle. It really is that he's able to do this. And so, when he got into this position, in part because the Masters took the unprecedented step of moving up the tee times for Sunday so that they could get it in, not worry about a Monday finish, which, by the way, was the right call. I know that there are some people out there in brethren and media and and others who believe that the Masters and Augusta National made the wrong choice in choosing to bump up the tee times because ultimately the rain was only there for about an hour and they were still able to have the outdoor green jacket ceremony that they thought they were going to have to cancel and they were still able, uh, they probably still would have been able to finish in daylight the, that traditional Masters sign-off, you know, 7, 7.30, but I, I still think Augusta made the right call in part because I think it turned out to be really cool that the Masters finished at 2 or 230 on a Sunday afternoon. I actually think that's better for a lot of reasons. For the average person on a Sunday, especially if you're a golf fan, you, you know you're going to be watching golf. So you've kind of cleared out your day. You've cleared out Master Sunday. It's There's nothing on the books except maybe church in the morning if you do that kind of thing. Maybe a little yard work if you can. Something like that. But not you know, you're not going to go and do something that takes five or six hours. I mean, you may play golf in the morning or something, but I don't think most people do that. I think most people are locked and loaded for the Masters that week if you're a big if you're a big golf fan. And so when they said, Hey we're gonna tee off at we're gonna get the leaders off at nine twenty in the morning and threesomes off of one and ten, like, Yeah, let's go. Let's let's have breakfast at Augusta, let's do it and get it done. And then by the time it was done, the the beauty of it was that Tiger won, obviously, that was incredible, but that the tournament was over and you could just kinda buzz about it. For the rest of the day, and you could still buzz about it the next day because it's the freaking Masters, you just didn't have to wait those extra five or six hours to do it, which I thought was great. I thought that was good for the tournament. I wouldn't be opposed to seeing not a threesomes finish, but I wouldn't be opposed to seeing an earlier finish in the future. I'm sure they will never consider this other than an emergency situation, but I thought it was great. And so you get Tiger in the benefit of that, getting into the final group with Francesco Molinari who caddied a lot for his brother, Eduardo Mol- Molinari, in the 2006 Masters. They played with Tiger Woods, I believe it was the first, first and second round. Uh, Eduardo misses the cut, but they played together. And then you get Tony Finau, who nearly didn't even compete in the tournament last year because he like, busted his ankle rolling over it celebrating a hole-in-one in the par-3 contest, and he gets some measure of redemption coming in, playing well again in this tournament. So we seem to have figured out that Tony Fiena kind of likes Augusta National. But you get that benefit of Tiger being in the final group because I know it's superstition, and it it doesn't really mean anything, but it does tell you something, that the winner of the Masters typically comes out of the final group in the last quarter century. Basically, almost universally, comes out of the final group, unless... Danny Willett wins. That's about it. And so, it that that kind of leaps out of you. All right, he's in the final group, but it also leaps out you that he's over sixty six in his career when trailing after fifty four holes in a major. He's fourteen of fifteen when he has a share of the fifty four hole lead because he lost to White Yang. But he's never come from behind to this point to win a major. So you think, all right, well Frankie's got him. Frankie's playing the best golf in the major championships, perhaps other than Brooks Kepka. You know, in the last what? Last three majors, I mean the last eight majors, it's the story of three guys. It's the story of Brooks Kepka, it's the story of Francesco Molinari, and it's the story of Tiger Woods, all kind of blended together in the last two years worth of majors. Obviously Kepka has the most, he won three. Francesco was looking to win a second, and I think he probably had to figure there was some history on the line because I understand the point of being the first guy to win a major from Italy. That's a big deal. He did that at the Open. But there are a lot of guys, relatively speaking, that have one major win. Something like 300 players have a single major title. And that's incredible. I mean, that's still a a tremendous achievement. But the list gets a whole lot shorter when you wonder how many people have two or more majors. And the list gets even shorter when it's three or more majors. But to be someone who has won the Open Championship and... The Masters, that's also a very rare company. And so I'm pretty sure Molinari had a good sense of what was going on. I'm sure he probably thought about the fact that he would be playing with Tiger Woods and that the patrons would be pulling for him, and that, uh, pulling for Woods, that is, and then Fiena, and then him, because of the Ryder Cup, and I I think it's a distinctly American audience at the Masters. Intrigued to me, was, I'm sure for him, was how would I be received after having put a spanking on Tiger and his Ryder Cup teammates after basically claiming a bunch of my career scalps in the last 12 months, and even you can go back to the miracle at Medina in the 2012 Ryder Cup, at at Tiger's expense, beat him there at Medina. Beat him to win the uh, the go 5-0 and in the Ryder Cup last year. Three of those matches were against Woods. Woods with a teammate, I should say. And then you have Tiger losing to Molinari, who put on this just shockingly incredible ball-striking display to win the final Quicken Loans National. And and again, it just keeps kind of piling up. And you think, all right, well, Molinari has this great record against Tiger, seems nonplussed by pretty much anything, and Tiger's not going to bother him. And it became pretty apparent three or four holes in that he was bothered by something, whether he didn't have it, whether he was bothered by Tiger, the environment, the situation, the pressure. I don't know what that was, but you could pretty quickly tell that something was amiss. First couple holes were fine. Third hole was not as good, but it was okay. And then on four, when he hit the, dri- the tee shot a little bit long and left, just just of the fringe, he's like, all right, he's, he's hit it enough to get back there, but this isn't the normal ball-striking Molinari who is, pretty much hits it dead straight at his target every time. And then the drive on five was kind of the all right, wheels are starting to come loose. They could be coming off here. Drive goes way right. Somehow salvages par. Again, Tiger bogeys five. Whatever he does next year in his defense, he has got to play the fifth hole better than four over for the week. He bogeyed that hole every day. I think three times he went in the bunker. And the fourth time, he was like, all right, I'm just going to hit a Fairway Wood and wind up short. And he still managed to make five. So he's got to figure out that hole for next time. And so you figure, okay, well, he, maybe Molinari's just outwitting him. I mean, the, the stroke he picked up, he gave back. And it, it seemed like Molinari was getting himself. Out of bad situations. He got himself out of the situation on four, on five. On six, he goes way deep on a really hard hole location. Somehow gets up and down from there. Then you get to seven, and he's one par or better away from tying Stuart Appleby's record for the most consecutive holes of par or better in the history of the Masters, which is 50. And pulls his drive left. They're like, all right, well, there goes that. Now what? And he birdies eight. You're thinking, okay, well, maybe the wheels are – maybe it's all kind of hanging in together. Meanwhile, Woods is doing nothing. He's missing stuff. It's just not looking – it doesn't look as composed as maybe you would expect. And I'm, I'm sure for Tiger there had to be a ton of nerves involved. The guy has not been in a position to, to legitimately win a major championship before last year other than – I honestly, it doesn't come to mind immediately. But there's still got to be a lot of nerves, even if you've been in that position. And then you have to add the fact that he hasn't won a major since 2008. He hasn't won a master since 2005. I'm sure all that's rolling through his head at the same time thinking, is this my last and only chance to win another masters? I'm sure that was all going through his mind. And I think all of those nerves kind of played up to each other a little bit. I think they kind of bounced off a little bit. And after nine holes, you're thinking, all right, well, Tiger's got to do something special in the back. He's got to catch Molinari, but... Tiger kind of has to wait and see. He's got to get through 10 and 11 and maybe even 12, and then you got to make your move. you got 13 and 15. You can get 14. You can get 16. You can get 17. Uh, you can make a lot of circles on the card in that stretch. you got to do it. And 10, both of them were horrible, but Molinari again escapes, gets up and down from the wrong side, short side of the green, gets up and down. Pretty incredible stuff. On 11, Tiger blasts this drive way—I mean, way right—to that kind of little alley that he was in the day prior. And because there's like kitty litter, like the drying substance that they use to keep things from getting muddy at Augusta National, but there's a little alleyway. Tiger finds it again. He hits a really—I mean, it's not an easy shot. Don't get me wrong; that is not an easy shot that he hit into 11 to get on the green. But he left himself a window, and that window may not be there next year if I know Augusta National. Nonetheless. They get to the 12th hole and you think okay I've got to somehow overcome two strokes in seven holes. And Tiger was very fortunate that the 12th hole claimed a lot of victims in the final two groups. It claimed Webb Simpson and Brooks Kepka in front of him, it claimed Tony Finau and it claimed Francesco Molinari. All made double bogey and it transformed the nature of the tournament because if Kepka birdies or birdies or pars 12 he goes into 13 thinking, I am an eagle away from taking the lead. This is mine, and it maybe that transforms him into Super Brooks, who wins a fourth major. Then you have Simpson, who wasn't really part of it, neither was Finau, but I mean, if those guys don't shed two strokes, who knows what happens from there for them. But as soon as Molinari hits his tee shot, and CBS is tracking the ball in the air, just the ball. They're not showing the green, they're just showing the ball you could tell the wind stood it up. I mean, if you're a golfer, you knew the wind was standing it up. I th- I think you did. If you didn't, I need to help you. But I said aloud, and I not to really anyone in particular, but I just said aloud, it's standing it up. It's holding it up. And sure enough, splash right in the water. Now, I think Tiger was going to play this hole the same way regardless. I don't I don't think he was going to try and do anything fancy unless Molinari kind of stuck it fairly tight, and then then maybe you consider changing what your your intention is with the tee shot. But I think Woods was going to play it over the center line bunker and just see where the wind took it. And if the wind took it left, okay. If the wind took it right, that's okay. But you're not going to wind up in a really bad position hitting it there. And he makes a great two-putt to get the par. Molinari, double bogeys. And all of a sudden, the game is afoot. Tiger hit a very risky tee shot on 13 he pulled it off, leaves himself a mid-iron into the green. Long, really, a short iron into the green. Makes the birdie. Almost made eagle, but makes the birdie, which is the key point. 14, gives himself a look. 15, again, nuclear drive. And Molinari, this is where Molinari gets it. He, he gets stuck behind a tree for his third shot. Uh, not really behind a tree, but with overhanging branches. And I know they said on the telecast that it sounded like he hit a fat he didn't hit it fat. He hit it pure. What the problem was it hit a big, fat pine cone in one of the overhanging branches. And then the ball just and the pine cone just went straight to the earth. And unfortunately for Molinari, the earth that it landed on was wet. And that was the end for him. But meanwhile, on the prior hole, or on the prior group, Patrick Cantlay's made an eagle to take the lead. That was a huge Caping hole in CBS's coverage, Patrick Cantlay coming from nowhere and going, this is for the lead. Wait, what? And then he kind of proceeds to botch 17 and 18 just terribly. I mean, 16 and 17, just terribly, just not good. And you can you kind of saw that at the Heritage. We'll get back to that another day. But you kind of saw that at the Heritage when he got close. It's just something Cantlay does. He gets nervous. And that's why he's probably never going to win a major championship unless he overcomes that somehow. And then you think, okay, well, Dustin Johnson's in it. He never really went anywhere. He wasn't talked about all day, but he never really left the picture. He just didn't say anything. And then Shawfle made a nice little back nine run, and they're doing their thing, and they run out of holes. And both of them have a legitimate chance on 18. Neither of them can pull it off to get to, to 13. And then you have uh, Brooks Kepka coming up 18, and he leaves it, what, like 12 feet away? for birdie, and he's thinking the putt's going to go a little bit left because that putt does or he thought it was going to go straight, but that putt does go a little bit left, and it went left, and he missed the putt I mean, all of those things, all of those players, those were players Woods had to dodge meanwhile on social media, and I'm thinking it too, so I'm not blaming anyone I'm thinking Tiger's going to win the Masters because he just birdied 15, he's got the lead back already right, you on know, 16, he nearly holes it out, that's a gimme, he's going to make that Now he's got the lead alone, but you still have to dodge all of these players who can still get there, and none of them do. That was the remarkable thing, I thought. None of them got there, went 17 or 18, and Tiger on 17 hit a great approach shot after a tremendous drive that he pretty much no-looked into the fairway, and I, I thought he would try and get the kind of the death knell then to lock it all up. But he, he just seemed to kind of miss the read. or I mean, they played it off like a lag on TV. I don't, I don't think that. I think he just misread it. But he gets 18. He's got to make bogey or better to win the tournament. He's up two. All he's got to do is get in the house in five or better, and he's going to do it. And I, I thought he had a great tee shot with the, the fairway wood to avoid the bunker on the left. And he just kind of got a bad kick on the right and left himself under a branch. But again... This is what happens when you're a 14-time major champion, and you've won 80 times on the PGA Tour, and God knows how many other times, other places, and other tours, you realize, I need a 5 to win. I need to do everything I can to make sure I make 5. And so he never put into play anything that could have cost him 5 or better. He got onto the green after a third shot. He had a decent little putt to try to make par to win the whole thing, and that... Augusta National may not be here right now if that putt had gone in the hole. I swear to God that place might have burned to the ground. But then he cozies it up after a nice little you know, little lip out and makes an academic putt out of it, which to him is academic, to you and me, we would have probably wet ourselves and then sharted as we putt. I mean it just would have been a, it would have been very difficult for us to make that. And he made it look really easy. And just the reaction. I mean, I have to give kudos to Jim Nance uh, at CBS because he did the right thing. He prefaced all of his reaction as Tiger is about to hit the putt. You now, this moment we're never going to see, it. we never thought we'd see again a return to glory. And then he just let the scene speak for itself. And that's what you need to do in that spot. You need to let a once in a lifetime, once in a generation kind of scene just play out. And that was the same thing that happened to the Tour Championship when he went wire to wire. They just let the scene play out. They let the people surrounding watching tell the story of how exuberant they were and how just raucous that celebration was. And, of course, you know, the celebration comes for Joe LaCava, who stuck by Tiger through everything. He left the bag of Dustin Johnson perfectly capable hall of famer to go when it was probably not the wisest move financially to go work for tiger woods because it's tiger woods and the celebration between those two was cool kind of called back to the 2013 players championship when woods and Lacava are standing in the cabin or whatever near the clubhouse the scoring cabin and he wins and Tiger kind of pushes Lakava and goes, "How about that? How about that?" And similar thing, kind of a little push, and we did it. Yeah, how about that? So oh, that was cool. And then, of course, I, I think if you're a parent, you probably lost a little bit when Tiger, you know, fist pumps, arm pumps his way up the hill and big strides, and sees his son Charlie and gives him a great big hug and hugs his mom, who's been there, who was there in 1997. There in 2019, Earl Woods obviously not there, died in 2006, and then his daughter Sam, his oldest child, his girlfriend Erica. I mean, you kind of start to lose a little bit of emotional connection there, but as just as a human being, you don't get a chance to celebrate many moments like that. You don't get to celebrate many high moments where it's everything that you ever wanted. And you get to celebrate it with the people who helped you the most, with the people who who love you the most. And I think that's why we, we get emotional because we tra- – at least I do. This is what I do. I don't know about you. But I transport myself into not, – maybe not that moment. I, I don't think about what would it be like if I won the Masters. I, I don't think about it that way. I think about the things I want to accomplish – Uh, Whether that's professionally, whether that's personally, whatever. And what it would be like to celebrate those moments with my family. Because I have those goals and I have those things in mind that I still want to do. And I want to celebrate those things if and when they happen. And do it maybe not quite as dramatically in front of millions of people watching me around the world who have had a window into my entire life the great and the tragic and the horrible, but just to be able to have that moment where the that energy courses through your veins that you did something really special. And that that's where I transported myself to. And that's why I wrote what I did for Golf News Net about why this Masters will always be my favorite. Why, what it means to me to be able to have seen this and then it happened. Uh, I, I, I always watch the 86 Masters when it comes on. The 86 Masters and the 97 Masters. I mean, i watch pretty much any Masters anytime. But those were obviously my two favorites. 86, for a very clear reason. It's the greatest, at least it was until a couple weeks ago, the greatest Masters Sunday in history. And what that comeback for Nicholas represents, what it means to get that one last one, It. It's special, obviously. And then for Tiger to re-estab- to establish himself as the apparent heir to Jack Nicholas eleven years later, at twenty one years old. Eleven years after watching this first final Master Sunday on T V, mind you. That that achievement is also incredible and remarkable and emotional in an entirely different way. That this kid from California was trained by his dad. And he was precocious enough to weave through all of his dad's faults, figure out how to play golf, and at the age of 21, 21, become the Masters champion. And what that all entailed for those two, as a dynamic father and son, obviously from the golf perspective, but as a family. Because Coltita Woods is a huge part of, of Tiger, obviously. She was the one with the killer instinct, supposedly. And so to have all that kind of come full circle in the 2019 Masters, I, I think it's got, I mean, if it's not my favorite, I got. I have to give it time to think about that kind of thing. I, I don't like declaring things the best ever or the worst ever or the whatever right after they happen. you gotta, you got to think about it. you got to work through it for a little while. And I, I think when it comes time for the Masters next year, when we get to April next year and they start airing all of the the highlights videos and they try to do like five a day. I know with 3 I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch 86, 97 and 19 and they will probably be my favorites for the rest of my life. And I don't I honestly don't need to go to the masters. I can just watch those three and be perfectly happy because they're emotional, they're inspiring, they're I don't need meaning from from sports. I don't need that and I'm sure you don't either. I don't think most people do really but Every once in a while, you need a little jolt, you need a little reminder, you need a little inspiration, and I think that's what those three Masters Highlights films provide, uh, or will provide in the case of 2019, whatever it is that it comes out. And so we've suddenly gone from basically in 2017 thinking, okay, well, if Tiger can start coming back and playing tournaments and finish four rounds upright, cool, that's great. He can be a, a person. A fully functioning person for his children who are growing. Cool for him. No personal impact. Sounds great. And then in 2018, he comes back, contends out the gate. You think, all right, well, maybe you can win again. All right, well, he almost wins again. All right, well, maybe you can win a major again because of what happened at Carnoustie, leading alone for an hour in the final round. And then you get to the PGA with Brooks Kepka. Great showdown. Kepka holds on. All the credit in the world to him for doing that. But you have the entire crowd behind Tiger in St. Louis. You have him performing extremely well, giving his best stuff, best run at it. Comes up just a little short. And I tweeted this at the time thinking, well, I just went from, I'm in a year, basically, from I'm happy if he's alive and finishing off tournaments upright to He could win the the Grand Slam next year. He's playing that well. And now he's got a major in the books. He's got 15. I What I wonder is, where does it go from here, of course? Because the story's not done. We're not done here. I don't think. When Tiger won or excuse me, when Jack won the eighty six Masters, it seemed pretty apparent that was the end. Like that was it. It had been six years since he had last won a major. And I know that seems weird to say, because it's literally been eleven years since Tiger won the 08 US Open. But if you think about all the time between all the things that happened between when Woods won the 08 U.S. Open and when he won the 19 Masters, you can think about so many years lost. You can think about basically losing 2011, 2010, 2011, 2012 for different reasons. 2010 because of all the stuff that went on in Thanksgiving 2009. 2011 because he was still working with Sean Foley. 2012 because Sean Foley was a bad teacher and he never should have worked with him in the first place. 13 is pretty good. He's playing well on the weekends in majors, but he's crapping him away because he can't game manage. It. He can't putt. And then you get the back problems, and you get the chip yips, and you have the surgeries. I mean, think about all those years that went by where Tiger really didn't have a chance to win majors. 10, 10, 11, I'd say 12. So that's three years. Add in 14, 15, 16, 17, basically. I mean, he was horrible. That's seven years. Seven years out of the 11 since he won a major, that he was useless. So if you think about it, I mean, in terms of years where he was actually an active, capable golfer winning a major, that's four years, not as much. But when Nicholas won the 86 Masters that Sunday, it very clearly felt like a finale, a swan song. We're not going to get a 19th major. We're not going to get a 20th major because that just wasn't in the cards. It doesn't feel that way with Tiger. And I don't know if... People at the time, contemporaneous to 86, I was three years old then. I don't know if people contemporaneous to 86 in their adult years or golf experts or writers or what have you figured Jack maybe had 19 or 20 in him. I, I don't, I don't get the sense that they did. And I get the sense now that people think Tiger's got a really good chance to win the PGA in a few weeks. And he does. He won the 2002 US Open on this golf course. It may be a little bit friendlier as a PGA of America course, as opposed to a US Open course from the USGA, Obviously, the fans on Long Island are going going to pull for him exclusively, pretty much, other than maybe Phil. I mean, maybe that's it. I don't know who else they would be into, but I think it comes down to those two guys. Maybe one young guy emerges, but he's going to have the crowd on his side. Why not? I mean, why not? Why can't he win? I don't see any reason why not. He gave his best run at a major last year at the PGA. It is most like a regular PGA Tour event. He obviously has won 81 of them in totality but 67 or excuse me 66 just to themselves you know 66 PGA tour set up events and 15 majors not set up by the PGA tour so why not what's what's to the stop him brooks kepka? Yeah, could stop him. Play great golf, finished tied for second in the major. If you look at his run of the last eight major championships that he's played in, it's incredible. 3 wins, other top finishes. Uh, he's pretty hefty. He's pretty incredible. Uh we may get Kepka Woods 3 Shoffley, Xander Shoffley, is going to win a major. In seven career major championship starts, he has four top six finishes. He gets it. He gets major championships. And he gets big pelts, too. When he wins the PGA Tour, he doesn't win rinky-dink events. He wins the Tour Championship. He wins his H- you know, the HSBC Champions. He wins big boy events. I know he won uh, Greenbrier, but we'll put that to the side as a, a breakthrough. He likes the big stage. He likes that. He's going to win a major. He's 25-1 to 1 to win the PGA Championship, by the way. That's a fool's bet, if you, if, or at least on that part of the house. Bet Xander Shoffley 25-1. to 1. That's absurd. And then you think through Dustin Johnson, who now informed another week later, kind of bookended a master's run, nearly winning a second major, with horrible Sundays. I mean, he was terrible in the final round of the Valspar Championship, and he was terrible on Sunday in the final group in the final round of the RBC Heritage. Shot 77. That's the third time in the last three seasons where he's gone into the final round and shot 77 with a, a lead. The lead. He gets himself very often in that position, so those things are bound to happen. But it is pretty remarkable that has happened twice in the last couple of months. So I wonder where that puts him. Molinari, do, do you assess that he just gets over it because he seems so much like a machine on the outside that he'll, he'll be fine, he'll get over it, and he'll win another major? Or is this the one moment that he never gets over? That he had it in his hand with seven holes to go. He had a green jacket in his hand with seven holes to go and he let it slip through his fingers. There are players who move on from that kind of thing and there are players who never get over that kind of thing. And I don't know who Francesco Molinari is in that regard. So I'm very interested to see what that means for him. And then, whatever Tiger does, whatever the outcome is of the PGA Championship, in June we go to Pebble Beach where, again, a number of these guys should figure into the equation. Dustin Johnson... Certainly should. He loves Pebble Beach. Plays it very well. Plays the annual PJ Tour event there. He's given himself runs to win. Probably feels most upset about the major performances of his career that he shot 80 in the final round of the 2010 U.S. Open there with a chance to win. And then had to wait six more years to get his U.S. Open. Tiger obviously has a great record there. put on the greatest golf performance in the history of tournament golf at that golf course in 2000 again. 19 years ago, but he did it. And then Kapka, I mean, he doesn't really have much of a record there, neither does Shoffley for that matter, but it seems like golf course is built for those guys. So I, I think we can have a, a year where the same four or five guys kind of figure into the story in all of them, and that would be very interesting to me. Tommy Fleetwood has been a factor in both the last couple of U.S. Opens. Seems like he would be a good fit. Tony Finau seems to have announced himself in the majors in a sense that He may not be winning majors, but he sure seems to finish high in an awful lot of them. I think he's worth looking at. And then you have to wonder about Spieth. I mean, he showed signs of progress at the Masters. And then he just fell off the radar immediately as soon as it turned to the weekend at the Heritage. You've got Rory McIlroy, who was the favorite to win the tournament. And he backed into a top 25, T21 finish. Uh, Why? Why couldn't he... what, What happened there to go from playing the best golf on the planet the first three and a half months of the year, uh, season, to nothing. I mean, just nothing in the tank at the Masters. Uh, we've got other questions to answer. Why did Justin Rose miss the cut? Why did Paul Casey play horribly? We'll, we'll get to those questions eventually, but that's how we've got to spin it forward from here. And then you think in the the broader context, is uh, this is the greatest comeback in golf history. You hear that I've heard that question far too many times. And I don't think I have an appropriate answer for that. I, I When I wrote what I did for Golf News Net, a couple of folks responded to me and kind of, how can you worship him? How can you see something positive in him? He did this. He did that. He wronged people. And all those things are true. Absolutely are true. But I think you look for what you want in sports. You look for what you want in a comeback. If you just want to see athletic prowess, if you just want to see someone achieve an amazing skill that either you wish you could do or you try to do, or you just you see the beauty in doing something that well, okay. Well, then you don't have to read meaning into it. But if you do read meaning, if you do derive emotion, if you do get worked up by sports, and not just golf, any sport, then I I think once you're an adult, you should come to the conclusion that people aren't perfect because you sure as hell aren't. I'm not. I know I've done some things that I am not proud of in my life, that I've shunned people, that I've made mistakes, that I've had to own things that I wish I didn't have to own. And maybe not on the scale of Tiger, not on the scale of cheating on my spouse, not on the scale of being on the cover of the New York Post for like 14 straight days, not checking into sex rehab, not having a DUI, not having five a cocktail of five drugs that are all against the PGA Tour's Anti-doping policy, none of that. None of that. Didn't have any of that. But I've done some things I'm really not proud of. And I wish I could take back, or I wish I hadn't done. And I I seek redemption for those things. And I usually seek them in the moment. But some of that stuff you just don't get over. Or you wish it turned out differently. And I, I think if you can go back and try to make good on those things, and achieve anyway, if you can make good by somebody you've wronged, and advance that relationship, or get stronger, or whatever it is. I, I, I think that's what you can take from it. Um, no, It doesn't give me life that Tiger won the Masters. But it also would not have given me life for Ben Hogan to have come back from a car wreck like he did. But it's still pretty incredible that he won basically half the nine majors that he won after the car wreck that nearly took his life. After leaning over his wife to try to shield her from an oncoming vehicle that was coming to kill them, not on purpose, but was going to kill them, and then taking the brunt of the injuries because of that. There's something very honorable in that. Even though, by a lot of accounts, Ben Hogan was not a great person, not someone you wanted to be around or be friends with, but an honorable man who did something incredibly honorable and still managed to persevere and come back from that maybe better than he ever was. That is incredible. But is it emotional? Maybe not. Then there's Babe Zaharias. She fought through barriers her entire life in women's golf to make women's golf a thing. And she still competed against men and did well. And then, after defeating cancer, after getting over cancer as best they could in the 1940s, she won the U.S. Women's Open with a colostomy bag on her hip. That's unfreakin' leavable. No one would do that today. So, what's the greatest comeback? Jack in '86. He was already great. There's nothing really wrong. I mean, he had some financial issues, but nothing really wrong. And we could talk another day about how the '86 Masters basically saved Jack Nicholas from oblivion. But that's another day. So I guess, you know, what's your greatest comeback? It's it's the latest one. It's the one that inspires you the most. Because while people may not overcome all the same things Tiger overcame to win again, people overcome stuff all the time. And I, I love a good positive story like that. Because I like seeing people succeed against either physical limitation, mental limitation, against their better selves, against a system that doesn't want them to do it. Whatever it is, whatever they're fighting against, I like to see people overcome and do well. And same thing for... I mean, C.T. Pan, Shang Tsung Pan won the RBC Heritage on Sunday, survived on a tough scoring day. He thrived. Everyone else kind of went sideways or backward and he won. And he had to overcome a lot. He had, he came to the United States from Taiwan, not speaking a lick of English. He became the number one amateur in the world. He played great at Washington, probably their most important player in program history. And then he comes to the PGA tour finds a way to get his card Just kind of hangs around for a couple of years. Plays like 30 tournaments a year. Just tries to figure it out as best he can. And then he finally breaks through. There's a lot to unpack there that he overcame that isn't heavily public. And it's not going to be. Because he's not the number one golfer in the world. He hasn't been a part of our lives for 25 years. But there's still a lot to overcome in that. I find a lot of value in that. So I don't think that you have to answer the question, what's what's the greatest comeback ever? I think you can just appreciate each situation for what it is. And if you're someone who believes that Tiger cheating on his spouse, which he did—I mean, I'm not lying about that—and uh, I'm not trying to be an apologist for that—but if if you're someone who was never going to get over that, then I—and you're not going to forgive him for that—then this means not, not as much to you, it means nothing to you, maybe. But Tiger has a pretty good relationship with his ex; he um, just does. I mean, I. I don't know what to tell you other than Elin and or- Elon Nordgren and Tiger Woods seem to get along okay. Now if custody battles, they spend time together every now and then. It seems like Sam and Charlie are cool with Tiger. Obviously his mom is, even though she was very publicly upset about Tiger's cheating. And didn't seem to all that happy at that weird apology speech that he gave at the tour headquarters or near the tour headquarters. So, if the people closest to Tiger are okay with celebrating his comeback after they'd forgiven him or at least moved on as best they can from what he did to them, the pain that he brought on him himself and them by his decisions. Then who are we to say that it can't be celebrated that an achievement beyond that can't be appreciated. It's up to you. Uh, but I don't think that there's any moral calling that says you can't do that. And so that's where I am. Um, I think it's pretty incredible that Tiger Woods won the 2019 Masters, and every time that I watch that final puck go in, I watch that and the preceding several minutes of celebration because everyone kind of longs for a moment like that, and to see that kind of thing happen after that long period kind of gives you just a little jolt, just a little, just a little pat on the back. You can do that too, and sometimes that's what you need. So. I'm very happy that it worked out that way. Obviously, the site traffic did really well. Um, not not as well as I thought, but but well. I, I had no idea what to expect if Tiger Woods won a major championship again, but I kind of had this crazy expectation. We have a quarter million people come to the website. Oh, that's a. I mean, we have like 150,000, which is awesome. Uh, 150,000 people in a day is by far a record. But I had no idea what to expect. And now that it's here, I'm very curious about what's next. And again, Tiger is a few weeks away from another major championship. He will probably play Wells Fargo, I assume. The deadline is Friday. I assume he's going to play Wells Fargo. And then they do the Texas swing broken up a little bit. And then we got, we're we you know in the PGA in the middle. And it's going to be great. It's going to be really interesting to see how all this plays out over the rest of the summer. But I don't believe this is the end of the story. Uh, I don't believe that yet. Might be. And if it is, it's is one of the coolest Sundays in the history of golf. But if it's not, then there's still a lot of exciting Sundays to come. Hopefully it is. Just the beginning. All right, that's going to do it for us this week on the show. Um, so I Hopefully you enjoyed a 40-minute conversation about reacting to Tiger and, and the Masters and how it all played out. That's kind of everything I have wrapped into, into 40 minutes of conversation. Please send me feedback, ryan at thegolfnewsnet.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Balangie. Golf News Net's on your favorite social media service at the handle Golf News Net. our apps for Amazon and Roku players. And I wanted to kind of get your feedback. So if you've come this far into the podcast, thanks. Uh, 42 minutes in. But I want to get your, as an audience, feedback on something. We're thinking of creating a podcast separate from this one. Separate from the 19th World Golf Show, which will... Kind of remain in perpetuity as a free podcast that's reaction-based. But having a podcast that's reserved for interviews on Golf News Dev for GNM Plus members. And then create a separate third podcast called Two Off The First. We tried it as a video play a couple of years ago. Just a, a short four or five minute video each day that was meant to kind of tell you about two important stories in golf. And I feel like that's better suited to a podcast that's maybe 15 minutes long. Dig into two topics for seven or eight minutes and then you can kind of listen to it on your Alexa or on your commute or however you want to listen to your podcast in the morning. Catch you up on golf and then do it five or seven times a week. Not sure. But I would love to hear your thoughts and feedback on that. If you have some, it would be really appreciated. Um, we're going to make some big changes with GNM Plus. We're going to take away the $10 a year option and we're going to grandfather that out and just make it basically – $75 for the year. I think we might do it to 50, I'm not sure, but we're going to come up with some kind of figure where GNM Plus is going to be more about my perspective on golf versus Golf News Net is kind of just general news. It's it's general information. It's always been designed to be that way, but my hope is that the and GNM Plus membership we can market as Golf News Net Plus Ryan Ballangi, plus how I feel about golf with all kinds of pictures and curated social, and short posts and bits of information and research and articles and columns, just what I'm thinking about golf. And kind of pull some of that back from Twitter, pull some of that back from the public sphere, where, frankly, it it doesn't have as much value, in my opinion. And focus instead, not on getting likes and retweets, but just getting my golf perspective out there every day to our members. I would love your feedback on any or all of that, Ryan at Golfnewsnet.com as well, Ryan Ballenjee on Twitter. Until next time, I'm Ryan Ballenjee saying thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoy the Masters and this reaction podcast. We'll talk to you next time on the 19th Hole Golf Show.